Get it Monday, May 25th, 2020. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a great week outside of podcast land. Hope everyone also had a good and reflective Memorial Day weekend. I made the decision over the past week or so that the coronavirus beard is so April. I haven't had a haircut since early March, and my hair is the longest that it's ever been since pre-boot camp. Therefore, I deem this month mullet May, because by the end of all this, I look forward to walking into the VA headquarters in my suit with a full-blown Rowdy Roddy Piper-styled mullet. Because he said, as soon as you think you have all the answers, I change the question. Love that. So we're doing it. We're going mullet. Received some great feedback on the last couple of episodes on the blogs, on blogs.va.gov, especially in the, uh, especially in the G. Michael Hoff blog. Uh, three veterans that talked about their writing journeys. Thank you for that. Also got an email from Blue Hog, who was featured in a, a review last week. Uh, he wanted to let me know. He wanted to ensure that I knew that he's not Blue Water Navy. He was Vietnam era U.S. Air Force who served from 73 to 83. And as he put it, was not in country, was a severe REMF who kept the VC out of Arizona. <laughs> blue Hog was the name of his license plate on his first Harley, which was blue. And the same license plate adorns his currently Black Hog. Oh, well, he writes, black is the fastest color. He would also like to mention that even though he's an airman, he can't be too harsh on the Navy because both his dad and father-in-law were sailors, father in World War II and father-in-law in Korea. He writes, thanks for the shout out. Very well, either way, Blue Hog, awesome to hear back from you. And thank you for the review because reviews like that give a glimpse of the podcast to a potential listener and helps put us higher in the rankings. Therefore, it helps get this podcast in front of more eyeballs. So I really appreciate it. And I look forward to your next email. Got another review this week. This one is from Copley Legacy. Five stars, great podcast. I wish I had discovered this podcast when I had just separated from active duty. I felt very isolated, and this is a great way to feel connected to the community. Keep up the good work. Uh, Copley, what's important is that you are here now and that you will always be welcomed in this community. And I appreciate your support. Uh, feel free to join us anytime on the main VA social media channels and engage. And I, I, I suggest engaging in the local VA medical facilities, Facebook or Twitter, or physically in the hospital once COVID-19 is done. It might be a place where you can contribute information and help pay it forward to other veterans in the community. So welcome. Okay, news releases. Uh, looks like we only, and I say only, uh, have four this week, which I used to think was a lot until the past couple weeks. Uh, so I'll go a little bit more into detail with these new news releases this week. All right. First one says for immediate release, VA launches clinical trial for veterans with COVID-19 based prostate cancer drug. Recently, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs began a new clinical trial to test a Food and Drug Administration approved prostate cancer drug as a potential treatment for male veterans with COVID-19. In a new clinical trial, VA scientists will compare the drug Deregalix, which is the trade name, and their trade name is just as weird for, for Magon, for Megan. Who names these things anyways? 
I digress. Uh, they're going to compare the drug Deregalix to a placebo for improving the clinical outcomes of nearly 200 veterans who have been hospitalized with COVID-19. Scientists are testing Deregalix because lab evidence suggests that male hormones trigger the production of a protein called TMPRSS2 on lung tissue. The virus that causes COVID-19 relies on TMPRSS2 to enter lung tissues. The virus that causes COVID-19 relies on TMPRSS2 to enter lung tissues. By temporarily lowering male hormone levels, researchers believe they can reduce the production of TMPRSS2 in lung tissue and thus prevent the virus from penetrating lung cells. Researchers from University of Alabama at Birmingham and Columbia University applied advanced artificial intelligence and computational genomics genome techniques and used that lab evidence for this COVID-19 data. The researchers collaborated with the VA to plan the new trial. The study is not suitable for female veterans, however, as existing evidence shows Deregalix may have the opposite effects in the female body by increasing TMPRSS2 production, thus worsening the severity of the COVID-19 symptoms. The West Los Angeles VA Medical Center is leading the trial. The study also involves VA medical centers in New York, Brooklyn and Manhattan, and Washington State, which is Puget Sound. UCLA is also involved in the analysis of research specimens, but not in the clinical element of the study. VA researchers expect to complete the trial in about four months. For more information, visit research.va.gov. All right. Second one says, for immediate release, VA and multiple agencies launch joint mortgage and housing assistance website for Americans impacted by COVID-19. To ensure homeowners and renters have current accurate housing assistance information during the COVID-19 pandemic, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, along with several other agencies, recently launched the website consumerfinance.gov forward slash coronavirus forward slash mortgage hyphen and hyphen housing hyphen assistance. Veterans and service members with a VA home loan and other homeowners with a federally backed mortgage and tenants living in properties with a federally backed mortgage have relief options if they have been financially impacted by COVID-19. The joint effort between the VA, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development consolidates mortgage relief options, protections for renters, resources for additional help, and information on how to avoid COVID-19 related scams. It also provides tools for homeowners to determine if their mortgage is fairly backed and for renters to find out if their rental unit is financed by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. These measures include offering alternatives for appraisers to determine property value in lieu of interior inspections and providing lenders with additional information to close loans remotely. Such alternative procedures help ensure VA borrowers can close on a home even during this pandemic and prevent foreclosures when possible. VA borrowers experiencing financial hardship due to COVID-19 can review VA guidance for borrowers and either request forbearance through the mortgage loan servicer collecting their monthly payments or call 1-877-827-370 to speak with a VA home loan representative. And we just had the, the Undersecretary for Benefits on our last bonus episode who had a lot of information on VA home loans. So also check that out. Okay, news release number three says for immediate release, VA encourages donations to help homeless veterans or those at risk of homelessness during COVID-19 pandemic. 
The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced a new initiative requesting the public to make donations to help provide emergency relief and facilitate remote access to health care for veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness during the COVID-19 pandemic. Individuals and organizations are asked to donate essential items such as non-perishables to combat food insecurity and new mobile phones to ensure veterans have access to VA telehealth services. Monetary donations will also be accepted to help veterans pay for security deposits for living arrangements to prevent homelessness. These are the ways to help. 1. To donate items as food, mobile phones, or household goods to veterans experiencing homelessness in your community, you can contact your local VA Voluntary Service office. To make large donations or donations to multiple locations, contact Dr. Sabrina Clark, the Director of VA Voluntary Service, at VHACO10B2ASTAFF at VA.gov. That's Victor Hotel Alpha Charlie Oscar 10 Bravo 2 Alpha Sierra Tango Alpha Foxtrot Foxtrot all one word, at va.gov. Option three, use the e-donate option at volunteer.va.gov forward slash apps forward slash volunteer now, all one word. And please specify you want the funds to be used to help veterans who are homeless or at risk. This initiative will run through the end of the calendar year and may be extended if circumstances warrant. For more information on this and other VA initiatives to help homeless veterans during the pandemic, visit va.gov forward slash homeless forward slash coronavirus dot ASP. And finally, says for immediate release, VA's lead facilities reintroduce health care services while ensuring a safe environment. On May 18th, the VA Secretary Robert Wilkie announced the department will begin to reintroduce health care services in select VA facilities as some states have started to reopen from the COVID-19 shutdowns. Each Veterans Integrated Service Network, or VISN, has selected lead sites to be the first to implement a phased approach to reintroducing select healthcare services while ensuring a safe environment. The lead sites introducing select services include VISN, in VISN 1, White River Junction VA Medical Center in Vermont, VISN 2, Syracuse VA Medical Center, Syracuse, New York, VISN 4, Erie VA Medical Center, Erie, Pennsylvania, VISN 5, the Herschel Woody Williams VA Medical Center in West Virginia. Vision 6, the Salem Virginia Healthcare System in Salem, Virginia. Vision 7, the Ralph H. Johnson VA Medical Facility in South Carolina. Vision 8, the West Palm Beach VA Medical Facility in Florida. Vision 9, the James H. Quillen VA Healthcare System in Tennessee. Vision 10, the Lewis Stokes Cleveland VA Medical Facility in Ohio. There are two in Vision 12, the Toma VA Medical Facility in Wisconsin and the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital Madison VA Medical Facility, also in Wisconsin. Vision 15, the Kansas City VA Medical Facility, Kansas City, Missouri. Vision 16, the Central Arkansas Veterans Healthcare System in Arkansas. Vision 17, the South Texas VA Healthcare System in Texas. Vision 19, the Fort Harrison VA Medical Facility in Montana. Two in Vision 12, the Puget Sound VA Medical Facility in Washington and the Boise VA Medical Center in Idaho. Vision 21, the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System in Nevada. Vision 22, the VA Southern Arizona Healthcare System in Arizona. 
And finally, Vision 23, the Fargo Healthcare System in North Dakota. Veterans should contact their VA medical facility or provider for more information about the expansion of services at any of these sites. All right, this week's episode features a Navy veteran. He is the Senior Vice President and National Director of Military Lending at Caliber Home Loans. He has a great journey to tell, and he has some new updated information about VA home loans, which a couple of key things have changed since our own benefits breakdown back in episode 150, wow, almost a year ago. And he's here to talk about those changes. So without further ado, here is Navy veteran, Brian Burgens. Enjoy. So Brian, I was looking at, is it, is it Burjans? Yeah, perfect. Perfect. No, Burjans. Perfect. Got it. Got it. And I was reading your bio, said you uh, came out of uh, St. Louis originally. Yes, sir. I'm uh, actually born and raised and still, and still here today. Actually, I, um, I, it's funny about St. Louis is you grow up thinking, I can't wait to get out of St. Louis. Then the Navy <laughs> took me away from St. Louis. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it today, I still get homesick. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> how how sick were you when the Rams left town? Uh, you know, after going, after I, I was more sick the year after Kurt Warner left after being teased with the greatest show on turf than I was when they <laughs> left because I had 10 years of of just pure, uh, now I know what the Cleveland Browns feel like. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough stretch right after the greatest show on turf. That really was. It was, it was terrible. And the fact that we had a, we had a generational, like, you know, Marshall Falk was, is a special person, right? So, I mean, that was yeah. great. But then we got Steven Jackson, who literally would have been, if he would have been on a winning team, I mean, I'm real what that guy was able to do with the crappiest, offensive line <laughs> and to be the only option on a team for a decade and still do what he did was just simply amazing. Very, very Barry Sander esque, if you might say, um, as a, as a, as a Seahawks fan though, I was, I was happy to see this greatest show on turf take off. So, um, <laughs> so Brian, you joined the Navy in 1995. Um, a lot of our guests on board in the battle either joined in like world war two or Vietnam, OIF, OEF, Yep. But why did you join in 95? Was it, was it Yugoslavia? No, no. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's funny is, uh, I'm actually third generation military. Um, okay. and, uh, the funny part is I really didn't know my family history in the military. And, um, to be frankly honest, my neighbor had went to join. You mind if I tell the story? I'm just going to tell it. Right? Yeah. Tell it. Okay. Yeah. So here's how this, here's how this worked in my life. So, um, I was an athlete, played sports, played multiple sports, um, multiple groups of friends. I wouldn't associate myself with just athletes. I, I, in high school, I hung out with various groups of people. Um, and my neighbor, um, always wanted to join the military. His dad was retired air force, always wanted to join the military. And, and I grew up in a single parent household. So I just had, it was just me and my mom. Um, and, um, so my neighbor, it was our beginning part of our senior year, um, knew he always wanted to join the military literally. Right. So he wanted to go to the recruiter's office. And, uh, basically when you go to the recruiter's office and you bring a candidate with you, they would allow, if you bring so many, 
for the that individual to go into boot camp at the next pay grade. So instead of an E one, an E two. Absolutely. And I did the I, I did the same thing. So, <laughs> so I literally had no idea about what he was even talking about. Um, to be honest, um, and my mom was like, "Hey, listen, you need to you need to go with Steven. You know what I mean? Like, go just go with Steven down to the recruiter's office." And I'm like, <laughs> Get "Out okay. of my house." <laughs> yeah, she she was just basically wanting me to help him out. Sure. And so finally, I was like, "You know what?" I'll go with you. And, and my buddy Steve's like, hey, just do what you do. And I go, well, I don't know what that even means. He goes, well, you know, just 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 talk. Just act like you're interested. And that way I can walk out and be, you know, the next pay grade before I go to boot camp. I'm like, sounds good. So uh, we go to the recruiter's office and there's nobody, no other offices are open with, with the exception of the Navy. And, uh, and back then in 95, the Navy, they wore the Johnny Cashes, which was all black. You know, oh yeah, yep, the Johnny uniform, and I that was a that was a it's a disservice that they got rid of those. It is. I, it was a great looking uniform, to be frankly honest. And uh, so they, uh, the the petty officer, he was an E five. I know now. I didn't know what he was then. He was an E five. Um, met greeted us at the door, and uh, my buddy Steve's like, "Hey, this is my buddy Brian. He's interested in joining the Navy." Which, to be frankly honest, when I showed up there, I was not interested in joining anything, and. Uh, <laughs> So we sit down and he's the recruiter looks across at me and he's like, hey, you know what? I could sit here and try to, you know, talk you to death about the Navy. But he goes, you don't look like that type of guy. You look like a visual guy. So you mind if I share something with you? And I'm like, sure, why not? And he pulls over this drawer up and pulls out this huge, thick, I mean, probably three to three and a half inch thick binder uh, picture book. Right. Just had it was basically his cruise book. Gotcha. And he sets it on the desk, turns it around, pushes it toward me and opens it up. And the first page is literally him and a bunch of friends partying their tails off in Australia. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm flipping through these pages and he's talking to uh, my neighbor, Steve, and they're just yipping and yapping about what Steve wants to do when he gets into the Navy and what his ASVAB scores were and all that stuff. And I'm not paying attention to hardly any of that. I'm just flipping through these book, this book. And <laughs> solid strategy, solid strategy. Solid strategy, right? I'm looking back on it now. And so I'm flipping through these pages and I'm like, oh man, this looks fun. Like this looks legit. And, uh, he's like, so what do you do, Bri? And I'm like, well, you know, he goes like, what do you, what do you like to do? And I'm like, well, you know, I play sports and, um, I'm a lifeguard and I love to swim and do all that. And so of course, like any good recruiter, he goes, how would you like to be the lifeguard of the ocean? And I was like, <laughs> you know, this is during Baywatch. And so I'm like, you know, this, I go, okay, I'm interested. Well, he, he was a search and rescue swimmer. Uh, he went to SAR school and all that stuff, and he was a submariner, so he was the the SAR on on a submarine, and so he spoke from experience, and uh, he was walking me through everything, and I'm like, man, this sounds great because at the high school I attended, we did lifeguard training, which every morning we'd show up, we'd swim and do all lifeguarding stuff, and it was really cool, uh, and you know, Baywatch was hot at the time, so everybody wanted to be a lifeguard, and uh, <laughs> including me. And so when he told that, I'm like, man, this, this, okay. I'm, I'm now you have, now you have my interest. And so we literally talked for, I want to say two and a half hours. Mm. And, uh, he's like, Hey, you know, hopefully I gave you all the information you needed. You know, let me know. I'll, I'll follow up with you, you know, um, in a couple of you know, days or next week, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And we left and we're walking out to the car and, 
my buddy Steve goes, Hey man, thanks a lot. I, I definitely got that, that next pay grade. And he goes, but geez, man, three hours. He goes, come on, man. He goes, can you just cut that down two hours? Later, later, later on a little thick there. Yeah. I go, I go, I'm in. And he goes, what? I go, no, I'm in. And he goes, uh, no, you're not. I go, no, seriously, dude, I'm joining the Navy. He goes, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck telling your mom. And so, uh, <laughs> we drive back to the house and I walk in the door and my mom goes, how was it? And I go, it was great. He got the, you know, Steve got the next pay grade. And she goes, oh, that's great. And I go, by the way, I'm joining the Navy. And she goes, the hell you are. And I go, no, really, I am. And she goes, no, really, over my dead body. And so uh, it took me about, I don't know, about four or five months of just, I, I just, I just, once I zeroed in on that, it was, I, that was something I wanted to do. Finally, finally worked the mom down. She finally just, uh, by the time December rolled around, I was about to turn 18. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, I just basically said, you know, it's something I really want to do. Um, she felt that I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, when you're 18 years old, uh, and a mama's boy, you're trying to get the heck out the house. And just, I just knew, I just knew I did just something I wanted to do. And, yeah. um, so against her best wishes, mm. Um, I joined the Navy. She, she actually, uh, you know, blessed it at the end and said, okay, but you know, you are joining the military. You are a single, you are a only child who pretty much has gotten anything he's wanted his whole life. The military is not the same. And so the caveat to that is my mom and my dad, when they were married, when I was one, my dad was 82nd airborne. And so my mom lived with my father on base. So she had a good idea of military life was like, Oh, wow. And you didn't know any of that before you went in? Didn't know much of that. Didn't know much about, uh, my dad's background in the military at the time because he wasn't really wow. around. And then my mom really didn't really share too much about, you know, my dad's military background. And so, so I made this decision and she's like, you know, I lived with your father on base and it's not, I'm just telling you, it's not, you know, it's not all pleasant. And, you know, she tried to, she really set the bar really, really low. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the cool part is I went in on the buddy system with my neighbor, right? Yeah. And he had been wanting to do this his whole life. I made the decision over a weekend. And, uh, <laughs> funny part is about three weeks into boot camp, he gets sent home and I'm still there. Oh, really? He couldn't hack it. Oh man. He did everything he could to get out of, uh, to get out of, you know, um, you know, he just didn't want to do it. And you know what? Hey, I always say, you know, it's always a great idea, you know, it's, uh, but when you get there, you know, some of that stuff's just not for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I do feel that it's in the best interest of both the military and the person to not make it a hard breakup. If somebody doesn't want to be there, why would we want them in our military? You know what I mean? Absolutely. So um, he departed and I stayed there and crushed it. And uh, I mean, I had a great time and I'll tell you what, going to boot camp just literally changed me as a human being. You know, um, I remember literally picking up the phone and calling people from boot camp, you know, just basically giving them a buzz and apologizing for being a D bag. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of stuff, it, it changed me as a human being. I, I got to 
you know, meet and uh, get to know people, you know, based on who they are and not by the clothes that they wear, where they live, kind of cars they drive, you know what I mean? Any of yeah. that stuff. And, uh, you know, that literally I wouldn't be where I'm at today in the civilian world, in corporate America and all this stuff without all the lessons that boot camp taught me at 18. Absolutely. I think a lot of us can can look back uh, and see some things that that we picked on and during our veteran time or during our time in service that that we can apply what we do today. I want to tell you one funny thing so we can end on the boot camp thing. Sure, 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 sure. I get to boot camp. I do all the tests. I'm taking a second cl- you know, class swimmer test, all that good stuff. I pass my my physical test to do all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going through the jobs process and I'm like, hey, so like, hey. Um, you know, you want to do this, you want to do this. I'm like, how many years do I have to stay in? And they're like, well, that's, it'll be five years. That'll be six years. That'll be four years. I'm like, nope. Cause I just had, I was just hell bent on three. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I didn't really know what I was doing. And, uh, everybody's looking at me like, dude, you're crazy right now going in undesignated. And I'm like, nope, that's what I want to do. Cause I want to be a SAR swimmer and all that good stuff. And, uh, so I get to my first command and what I didn't know going into this and I look back on it now, it's not like the Coast Guard where search and rescue is like a actual job job. Yeah. SAR in the Navy is a collateral duty. Got you. And so when you show up to your command, if they already got SAR swimmers, you're waiting in line to go. And there's a good chance you might not ever see that. Yeah. And so I joined the Navy to be the lifeguard of the ocean and I never stepped foot in SAR school. Unbelievable. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> now, you did um, eight years active, right? No. So I did three years of uh, active duty. So I'm 95 to 98. And then I affiliated with the reserves. Okay. Um, did a couple of years in the reserves and then uh, actually transferred out of the reserves to go back to school and all that good stuff. And then reaffiliated back with the reserves in 2007. Got you. Um, while you were in active, best friend or your greatest mentor, if you were to name one, what one, who would it be and why? Uh, Chuck Eckhart. And uh, actually, Chuck is still in the Navy today. He's a captain now, believe it or not. And he probably he doesn't know this, but, you know, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was he was the, he was one of the first guys to you know, engage with me when I reported to my ship. And it turned out that he was uh, in the same department that I would be working in. And he literally took me under his wing from the day I showed up and uh, I followed his lead. He was uh I mean, he de- he defined, uh, you know, five star sailor. Like mm-hmm. he got picked up for seaman to admiral, all that good stuff. And uh, so I followed in his footsteps. Everything he told me to do, I did uh, to a T. And um, I was I was a highly well respected young sailor on my ship. I was a get stuff done guy, and uh, I would not have been those six i would not have been as successful in the navy if it wasn't for that man and so i i owe, I owe everything to that guy uh you guys were enlisted together chuck yes. you and chuck so yep. it's and it isn't amazing to look back from that and then go okay now he's a captain yeah <laughs> we're, we're getting to that age um so it sounds like you you were doing well in the navy why did you decide to get out of active duty you know, it's funny, um, when I was uh, getting toward the end of my enlistment on active duty, my commander, my captain, my CO, John Muldoon, is retired now. Um, I was, uh, so I, I was undesignated 
so which really means I was kind of a bosun mate, right? So I was running around on the ship doing all kinds of cool stuff, and I actually loved it. Um, but I was uh, smart enough to, at that time, to take my test to become an E4 in a different rating, and I became a communications guy, so a radio man, which is now like an IT. Yeah. And so when I did that, um, I we used to deliver the message traffic all the time to the CO every morning, so I got to know him really well. Yeah. And uh, I was a really, uh, I would probably say, you know, I was above, way above par on my, my peer group as a, as a young enlisted sailor on that ship. I did everything. I was on every watch. I, like I said, I got qualified to do everything. I drove boats. I drove the CO's boat. I did, did everything. Yeah. And so I got to know the CO really well. And when I was getting towards the end of my enlistment, he asked me what I was going to do. And, you know, being a mama's boy, being an only child, even though I wanted to get away, it's what I told you about the St. Louis thing, right? Even though I wanted to get away, yeah, I was still homesick. And um, my mom was a big influence in, on me of getting out and coming back home. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're 21 years old, you're still easily influenced by others, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, looking back on it now, was that probably the smartest thing? I, You know... I w- well, you know, I still got to where I'm at, so I can't really say that. But yeah. uh, my CEO literally called home to my mother to ask to tell her to uh, to to advise me to reenlist and stay in. Mm. So, um, but I I still got out anyway. I still got out anyway. And you know, it's funny when you get out, you come back home, you start uh, getting back with the same folks who are still doing the same thing they were doing before you left. Yeah. It's, it's an eye opening experience for you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think any, any veteran has remembered those days they went back home on leave and the guys that they piled around high school with, uh, a lot of them have, did, have moved on and did moved on and, and, and had goals and did goals, but there's some that just, that didn't, <laughs> you know, they just kind of kept doing the same thing. And you, you get pulled in, yeah. you get pulled in back into the same thing and you, uh, lose the structure the accountability, yep. all that stuff that makes the military what it is today and allows people to be successful. And then you lose that when you go back to, you know, the civilian world. Did you get pulled in a bit when you first got back? Yeah. You know, I come back into, uh, you know, back home and, you know, I got caught up with, you know, I had friends on the seven year college program, you know what I mean? That weren't yep. going very far, very fast and they were not really trying to either. You know what I mean? And here I was, you know, 21 going on 22. And, you know, I did a, you know, I did a South American cruise and I've been driving boats and been, you know, at sea and doing all kinds of cool stuff and been to a lot of cool countries. And, you know, I'm like, my gosh, this is, this isn't going to work for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So briefly, tell me about what your transition was like, uh, you know, around 98 and, and how did you find yourself working in the mortgage industry? How did you cross that going from with your, with your buds to, okay, now I'm going towards a career? Well, I can tell you right now, you know, everybody, you know, has to, you know, there's influencing people in everybody's lives. Right. And I do believe stuff like that happens for a reason. But for me, when I got out of the Navy on active duty, and uh, reassociated back into the civilian life, you know, I had a lot of good opportunities, right? I, I had, you know, had a job with like IBM and stuff and, you know, they gave, it wasn't a, a great job, but it was something and, you know, get your foot in the door and based on my military background and, 
I went back to the community college and was in school and just doing all the stuff that typically a transitioning veteran that young probably does. Right. Yeah. But I wasn't going very far, you know, at all because, you know, you're, you're still living in your same town and you're surrounded by people who at the time are just, you know, they're just not too concerned about, you know, what five years down the road looks like. And believe it or not, the most impactful thing besides meeting Chuck Eckhart was in 1998 when, believe it or not, I met the person I would end up marrying. And, uh, Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) met my wife in 98 and, um, and she was literally, you know, the person that kind of kept me going in the right direction a lot of times, especially when I was younger. Um, and I remember she was in college at Mizzou university. And, uh, I think she just, she just graduated and, um, got her first real job out of college. She was in school for, uh, hotel and restaurant management and got a job, obviously managing a restaurant, right. Locally in the Columbia market, which is right by Mizzou. And I would go up and visit a lot. Right. So, and which was a great thing for me because it kept me away from people who aren't getting much done in their life sure. at the time. Sure. And uh, because I would go up and visit her a lot, a lot of folks would come to her restaurant over lunch period, over their lunch break, and play like golden tea and hang out at the bar and all that good stuff. And I believe it or not, I met somebody playing golden tea. His name was Tim Zagreski and another one of the strong mentors in my life especially in the mortgage business. And Tim worked for a company called Beneficial Finance. And uh, Tim said to me when he met me after a couple of times, he's like, man, you know, you have a gift, uh, a communication gift where like people just want to talk to you and all that stuff. You should really think about getting into finance. And I'm like, man, that's, ugh. I go, I'm a, I go, <laughs> I'm a communications guy in the Navy. And uh, yeah. Anyway, long story short, you know, he was my foot in the door. He got me into the business and uh, the rest is the rest is history. And I owe it all, you know, obviously to my wife, who will probably hear this and, you know, shake her head. Yes, you, you do. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how how that always seems to work out that way. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the, the previous uh, uh, podcast host for Born the Battle, when he first interviewed me, that I, it's the same thing, man. My, I attribute my wife to 99.9% of, of what I'm doing today. Yep. It goes, it, it, it always seems to go to our significant others. Um, I doubt, man. Why did you come back to the reserves in 07? You know, so it's kind of funny. I always felt like I had unfinished business in the military. Um, you know, I always wanted to be an officer, uh, when I was even, I mean, literally within, uh, a month of stepping foot on that ship, I knew I wanted to be an officer. And, um, hmm. And I got out prematurely, uh, for sure, um, for, you know, obviously, like I said before, you know, with, with a, a little bit of pressure, I've, a little bit of pressure from my mother and, um, <laughs> and just a little bit. And, uh, you know, and I always felt that I, that I left something behind and, you know, the camaraderie and the relationships and just the friendships and the people, you just you know, you just don't get that anywhere else. I mean, people can pretend like it's there, but, you know, the military is unique in its own world and that, uh, you know, serving with somebody and meeting people 
in the military is on a whole nother level, you know? Absolutely. And so, uh, I reaffiliated with the reserves in 2007 and I went back in and enlisted while I was, uh, doing classes to, to get my master's degree and stuff. And then I put in an officer package in like 2009 and, and then got, uh, I got accepted into the uh, Navy Supply Corps, um, and uh, the rest has been history, man. That's awesome. And you and you deployed to Afghanistan. Now, yep. you're not a doc or a chaplain. And last time I checked, there isn't any major bodies of water for a sailor <laughs> yeah. in Afghanistan. How did you how did you finagle that so that gig? Uh, so in Afghanistan, the great part about my community in the Navy is the Supply Corps community is. Uh, is we're we're not very big in the reserve side and uh uh-huh. i mean it's just amazing group of professionals that work in this logistics community and we do everything from finance to logistics right so we're kind of chameleons and um when i got to afghanistan um the supply core community has always had a reputation of taking care of its own right Yep. So when I was en route to Afghanistan, um, our senior national representative, who was an 06 captain for the Navy in Afghanistan at the time, um, I I met when I was in Fort Jackson getting prepared to go abroad, right? So the Navy sends everybody to Fort Jackson to get expeditionary training, you know, like for convoys and IEDs and all that good stuff, right? So we go to Army's little little boot camp for that. And, um, I met an 06 there and this goes back to the whole relationship thing and being able to develop relationships, but, um, met him and he kept in contact with me. And so when I told him where I was ended up going, it turned out he was going at, he was already in Afghanistan. He left a little bit earlier than I did. And he put me in contact with a supply corps officer, a commander 05 that was in Afghanistan. So, when I showed up to Afghanistan, they basically grabbed me. Um, he kind of took me under his his wing. And then the general he worked for found out that another supply corps officer was there in his, in his command and pulled me into his office and basically said, you know, hey, supply corps guys have always done great for me. I, I love the Navy supply corps. And this was a Marine Corps general. And he's like, um, yeah you know, I need some help in these areas. And I've seen your background, your resume from, you know, Commander White. And, you know, I think you'd be a good fit for this stuff. You know, are you up for the challenge? And, you know, first of all, you don't, uh, like I was going to say no. Um, Yeah, right. (laughs) And, um, and I, you know, and I agreed and I was part of, you know, a contracting cell team that would travel the NATO bases in Afghanistan, you know, uh, meeting with senior national representatives and reviewing contracts because at the time I got there in 14, the push was that we'd be gone by 15, right? December 31st, 15 at the time. So everybody in theater at that time was working towards that. So we were part of the team for NATO that was traveling around to NATO specific locations, working to see what contracts we could dissolve quickly uh, that wouldn't kill the mission. And we would roll in and we would evaluate all the contracts. And I'll tell you, I was in one of the bases that was run by the uh, Italians and Spaniards. And I remember we were telling them that they had way too many coffee shops. 
And one thing I learned <laughs> quickly in Afghanistan is, ne- well, period, is never tell an Italian or Spaniard that uh, there's too many coffee shops on their base. <laughs> and uh, I remember the chief of staff and the, and their general literally stopping their feet, telling us we would not be shutting down any other coffee shops. So that is hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, um, so once I got back from, you know, did that mission for the general, uh, kind of my reputation was set as kind of a get stuff done guy. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So the financial controller of Afghanistan for NATO, um, his executive officer, his Lieutenant Colonel rotated out and there was a gap and, uh, he wanted me to fill that role and so my general that I worked for, who still was over that department, said, you know, the lieutenant can definitely hang with O5s for sure. Um, we've already seen him in action. So they actually filled me into the executive officer of the financial controller of Afghanistan for NATO as an O3 filling an O5 job. Um, wow. You know, it's weird. Yeah. One thing I will say is weird about deploying it sucks that you're missing your family every day and you got kids and worrying about them, but it's weird because you, when you're surrounded by other people having to do the same thing, how quickly you can only remember the good times. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So, so it sounds like it was a pretty successful tour. Um, what's, what's it like on, so you're still in uh, the reserves, right? Yep. Yep. So, so what's it like on drill weekend for you? I mean, you're involved in mortgage lending and you probably started out as, as a loan officer at some point that specialized in, and you've, you've specialized in VA, VA home loans. Yep. Uh, every guy in that unit that is thinking about buying a home has to be coming to you. Yeah, so uh, am I right? Am I wrong? <laughs> you know how it is in the military. Once people know what you do for a living, it's uh, you're the guy. Um, uh, and you know, I didn't always specialize. It's funny part is I didn't always specialize in VA, um, early in my career. It kind of just fell upon me because of the reserves, believe it or not. So, um, during the weird housing crisis of like 2008, nine and 10, um, there was a lot of folks trying to do some financing with their VA home loans. And so on, on drill weekends, I would get, a, you know, people find out I was in the mortgage business and they would come to me and ask me questions. And I would go back to my office and find the answers out. And I kept scratching my head going, man, these poor guys and gals are getting the runaround. And I finally realized at that time um, that there is a huge problem in the mortgage industry when it came to education around the VA home loan benefit. And then I realized, Hmm. man, there's even a bigger problem in the military around education on the VA home loan benefit. So got the blind leading the blind, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's when the torch lit for me and I started really focusing and zeroing in on that kind of stuff. And so uh, now fast forward, you know, people like when I get to a new unit, like I'm about to rotate out of my, my unit now. But um, when I when you get to a new unit now, most of the time you're sharing your resume with the commanding officer and the, the wardroom, obviously. And because everybody in my community, especially in the Supply Corps, they want to know what you do for a living because they want to know what kind of tangible skills you bring besides the fact you're an officer to the unit, which is great. And, uh, you know, I handle... For pretty much from that point on, anytime anybody has a question about their mortgage or anything, it's 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 always uh, ask uh, ask Brian. So, 
Yeah. Speaking of your what you do now, um, you're now the National Director of Military Lending and Retail Business Development with Caliber Home Loans. Yep. That's a long title. Yeah. It's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like most government titles. Yeah. Well, we tried to make it bigger, but uh, you got the post the uh, business card wouldn't allow it. <laughs> <laughs> what does that long title mean? So uh, I always tell everybody that um, uh, when it comes to the military portion of that, right? When it comes to military lending, um, I, I would be considered the brand ambassador for Caliber when it comes to that, right? So okay, um, I have uh, influence and, um, um, you know, oversight of a lot of different things when it comes to making sure we're doing the right things for our military and veteran customers, and most importantly, our military and veteran team members, right? So, Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started at Caliber four years ago and when they wanted to stand up this this specific team and initiative, you know, our focus was, hey, we can't go out into the marketplace and talk about how great we are or how much we want to help military and veterans if we've never thanked a vet that works here. You know what I mean? So sure. we did a complete culture scrub of all that kind of stuff. And, um, so I always tell everybody, uh, there's, when it comes to military and veteran, anything within caliber, it comes through my team period. Got you. And, uh, Got you. which is, which is awesome because, um, you know, when I first started there, I was you know, 39 years old and we always joked that caliber was the biggest company that no one ever heard of. I mean, they're a $60 billion a year origination company. So it's, uh, Wow. Not bad for a Navy guy. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so you're talking about internal stuff, culture change and things yep. like that. Do you do any, and you do out for, I did a quick Google search of you. Sure. Um, and I saw, and I saw the mortgage news network yeah. uh, and home ownership heroes. Uh, so you got to be doing some external stuff too. What is that? How did it come to be? And what are some things that you, that you guys cover in that? So, uh, homeownership heroes and military spouse Mondays are a couple shows that, uh, we do. So a, a long time ago, this is a, and this is on YouTube. Yep. I yep. found that on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. It'd be on yep. YouTube and mortgage news network, um, uh, hosts this stuff. And, um, so a long time ago, we realized that there was an education gap, education gap in our industry around, you know, assisting, uh, military and veterans with the dream of home ownership. Right. So if, you know, it doesn't matter what market you're in. You could be in San Diego, you can be in DC, whatever. There's an epidemic in this nation right now uh, because of the competitive market it is in that our military and veterans are not really getting fair shakes at buying houses because people in our industry are scared of the VA home loan benefit for various myths, right? That uh, unfortunately have been passed down generation to generation. And so you're, you're, you're talking, you're talking about scared of the industry against the VA. Yeah, home it's crazy. Right? Gotcha. And, uh, Jeez. so we, we realized this right by, uh, basically traveling the country and going in and speaking with realtors and loan officers and, and military members, uh, and really taking notes on, you know, what their challenges were and how we could help them overcome them. When we realized that it was bigger than we thought, we did initiate, conversations with with folks at the highest levels of of both you know NAR and and VA and you know the the common theme was hey the best way to solve this would be grassroots efforts right really getting down in the grassroots 
and and changing people there because by the time anything happened from the top down with, with policy or law, it's already too late. You're probably out of a, a seller's market into a buyer's market and too late. So at that, at that point, you'd be a, you'd be as slow as government. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> so we realized quickly the best way to do it would be to uh, educate as much as we can through as very as many channels as possible to all the industry, right? Not just realtors, but to mortgage professionals and anybody or anyone that's willing to learn about the VA home loan benefit. And so we started uh, Homeownership Heroes uh, as a as a way to mass broadcast to our lending partners, right? So a lot of the brokers and and any of the folks that uh, uh, associate themselves with the Mortgage News Network, um, we yeah. started that show as a, you know, it, at first we didn't know what, what to expect. I had never done video before. I've, I teach a lot. I travel. I speak a ton, um, do a lot of cool stuff. But you just never know how the videos are going to uh, videos are going to work. And uh, sure, sure. my co-host, Rick Betancourt, who you see in the videos with me quite often, uh, we got thrown together like one day and it just, you know, it just took off because he's just as passionate as I am. So when you got two passionate people talking about a subject, uh, you know, it you can't do nothing but win. Right. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we did that. We did that show. And then basically that show morphed into a second show called Military Spouse Mondays, where uh, the homeownership heroes Host myself and Rick Bettencorp uh, team up with John Bell, the deputy director of VA, and we answer questions from the military spouse community. Oh, wow. And um, that show's had a lot of success, um, and the military spouse community absolutely loves it uh, because they're able to get real time questions and answers from the people that, you know, are important in the process um, instead yeah. of listening to secondhand information that they might be getting. Have you guys start, thought about starting a podcast? You know that that uh, that is actually on our on our to do list for 2020. So uh, Rick and I um, are looking to take Homeownership Heroes to that direction for sure. So very yep. good. That's awesome. How does your current role in community engagement and education help the the industry or the business that you serve? You know, I um, does it does it help drive sales? Does it help? Uh, what's it, what's Gosh, it do? You know what? So the way I look at stuff and this has always been my philosophy is uh, I always felt that uh, you can always achieve business development through education. Right. You know, I always think that if you know what you're doing and know what you're talking about and you drive valued content to people and you're passionate about it, you know, people tend to gravitate towards the folks that they feel not only know what they're talking about, but also have not only their best interest, but their customer's best interest in mind. And that takes time and it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to be willing to devote the time to lay that brick by brick. And it's something that, um, you know, I've been doing in my own world since probably 2013 with teaching and educating is that, uh, you know, your own personal brand, your own name, you know, uh, is your driving factor of your influence in this industry and in this demographic, because, you know, when people 
feel like you're trying to influence better things for the veteran community, um, you know, it's, it's obviously good for whoever you work with and whoever you associate with. Um, and, you know, and you know how the military community is. Military community is like this. If you do the right thing by one person, they're going to refer you a thousand people and support you. Integrity, honor, uh, that all that all goes a long way in that commu- in, our, in our community. I, I so. agree. And I think that, you know, the one thing I always, uh, I always tell people is just, you know, you do the right thing for this community and the community is going to take care of you. And, and for those that, you know, you know, there's, there's, I always found that there's two philosophies when you're, when you're coming into work anywhere. Um, those that think that they make themselves indispensable by withholding information and those that, that provide information. And I've always found for myself that those that help provide the information to make the entire unit or the entire shop a better place are the ones that do better business. Mm-hmm. In your mind, both as a veteran and a veteran in the mortgage in the mortgage industry, um, what are the top three advantages of utilizing the VA home loan over, say, a conventional loan? Well, I'll tell you this right now: um, with the new changes of the you know Blue Water Navy Act 2020, um, they removed the loan limits, right? So now, now you can buy a house anywhere you want if you got, you know, if you got full entitlement. Um, you can buy a house zero down payment up to whatever loan amount the lender is willing to go. And um, to be frankly honest, wait. So, so, so is, is that for every veteran now, not just Blue Water Navy? Yeah, this is for every veteran. So the that 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 law was was put into the actual Blue Water Navy, you know, law, which is great because I think they've been toying around with removing loan limits for for several years. Um, yeah. And it just kind of got killed in a lot of the different, uh, bills that were trying to be passed. But that's amazing. That's amazing. What really gets me excited about this though, is that what a big win for active duty folks who, um, are, you know, been serving 30 years, 20 years, 25 years, and want to go and buy their dream home in retirement. Um, because before you used to have to put a substantial down payment down, right? There was, I mean, there was yeah. a down payment down. And if you look at the active duty folks, you know, uh, especially before the blended retirement system came into a play, their annuity, their monthly payment annuity was pretty much what they worked for, right? They worked yeah. 20 yep. years for that monthly stipend of whatever their percentage is based on how much time they serve. And that was it. You're, they didn't, no one's going to have 200, 250 grand saved in the bank if they have a family and they've been traveling and trying to keep everybody happy. Yep. You know, now what this does is allows folks who can afford the payment to, and they've earned this benefit to be able to buy a house at whatever loan limit that they would, they, that the bank will allow them to at zero down payment. Which is which is phenomenal. That's amazing. You know, I mean, again, we go back to episode 150. We were talking about the loan limit used to be a certain based on your zip code. It used to be a certain yep. thing. So, you know, that the only reason I was able to get two homes, and I'm, and I'm and I wasn't in the business about of getting multiple homes, but it just happened out that way. Um, I was in Charlotte, had a lower had a lower entitlement based on that zip code compared to DC here, and so it allowed me to get the two homes at the same time when I moved to DC. There isn't now. You don't even have to worry about that 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 entitlement limit. That's amazing. That's a huge game changer. 
the only yeah so the only caveat to that is if you let's just say if you've been base housing your whole life or renting and then you want to buy your dream home the sky's the limit for whatever the lender is willing to lend sure um which is an awesome i mean that that is a game changer for this demographic and i can tell you if we weren't the favorite folks that realtors wanted to do business with before uh once the word gets out and we're trying to do the best we can to get word out yeah uh, we will be, we will be everybody's favorite because it's a no-brainer to work with vets especially in the high balance communities on the coast yeah Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You talk about be careful of what are some things that you got to be careful with some of the new new regulations? Well, so you do definitely have to be mindful of um, like if you're if you have a VA loan currently and you go in and you're moving and you're going to another market, you got to be careful to know that you do not qualify for the unlimited loan limit. Right. So. Um, you know, the caveat to that is if I have a VA, let's say I'm moving from Jacksonville to DC, right. Yeah. And I'm not going to get rid of my house in Jacksonville. Yeah. So because I'm not getting rid of my house in Jacksonville and it's still guaranteed by the VA, um, I'm subject to the old rules of the road when it comes to, you know, a home loan benefit. Gotcha. So, so the unlimited only works on the first when you're, when you got, when your balance is zero. Yep. Yep. Very good. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Um, what's one thing that veterans are usually surprised by when they use their VA home loan? Uh, I think um, I think one of the key things that everybody kind of gets surprised about is the flexibility that you have when you're when you're doing a VA home loan, um, because there's so many different things that uh, the lender and the the client can do to uh, you know setting it up. Um, structuring the deal to allow them to, let's say, to move into the house with no money out of pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, VA's got this crazy little, uh, you know, benefit that, you know, some people can pay off debt when they buy a house. You know what I mean? Like, think about that for a second. You know, you can buy a house and possibly due to the way that the deal is structured, um, pay off some of your debt before you move in. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's unique to the VA home loan benefit. What? Give me give me an example of that. Like like say it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollars house. How can I still pay off debt that other debt when I get so, my loan? Can you get a loan for three hundred k? Yeah, let's say you're moving into a market and um, you know the seller. Let's say you're trying to sell me your house, right? And I'm moving in and. You're like, hey, I'm gonna give my, I'm gonna give this vet money for a closing, right? Because I want to sell my house. Sure. I'm gonna give this vet, you know, five grand for closing cost, seller concession. Yep, for closing costs or however they want to use it. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, the cool part is, based on the way that the, the rules are written, if that veteran's like, hey, I'd rather use that to pay off maybe one of my high interest rated credit cards before I move in, they can do that. Dang, had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. So very good. Um, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. You know, the VA home loan benefit is a lot different than it was, you know, several years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, the rates now are incredibly you know, low. Rate, incredibly low, where back in the day the VA used to set the rate. Yeah. Right. So when the VA used to set the rate, the rates weren't that attractive. And then when it went to market, now 
you're, you know? you're you're in the game with everybody else. No, oh, yeah, you got better rates, uh, no MI, no mortgage insurance, um, and no funding fee. You do have to pay the funding fee, but however, however, uh, you know, ten percent or more in uh, in a disability rating, or anytime you're receiving compensation, and there's some other cases here, sure, that you could be rated and still be exempt, but. Most most importantly, when you're exempt from the funding, most importantly, you get exempt from the funding fee because you're collecting some form of disability yep. or your Purple Heart recipient on active duty. But what we're finding is, based on the statistics of last year, you're almost looking, you're well over 40% of all the VA home loan applications now have some form of disability on it. So, yep. you know, four or five people out of every 10 aren't even paying that funding fee. Exactly. Exactly. Is there a drawback to the VA home loan compared to other loans? Um, you know, I, I tr- tr- 100%. Here's what I, here's what I always say. The VA home loan benefit is designed as a benefit program for a vet, right? So, you know, people that do conventional loans and do FHA loans, they didn't have to raise the right hand and say that they would give up their life yeah. for their country in order to obtain that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the eyes of VA and everybody else, when when I have my loan with VA and I'm having, if you ever call the 1-800 number to the regional loan center, one of the first things that asks you is if you're having trouble making your payment hit X. Hmm. So one of the cool things about having your loan guaranteed by the VA is that if you're having trouble or you're coming upon hardship, you can reach out to VA directly and they will act as a liaison between you and your lender. Very good. You can't do that with FHA. No. You can't do that with conventional. You know, I don't think there's many conventional loans where go, hey, we'll help you out with your financials. No. <laughs> and the sad part is most locations, most institutions, when you call their departments like that would probably tell you that you needed to be 90 days late before they can even do anything for you. You know how backwards that is? That doesn't even make any sense. If someone is paying their mortgage on time and they call you and say, I'm not going to be able to do this again. How can you tell somebody, wait 90 days after you've, we're about to start foreclosure on you before we can help you? It's, you know, it's, if you're proactive, that's just, if you're a proactive person, you look at that and you're just like, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty backwards. Yeah. VA doesn't want that. VA doesn't do that. So you call in and you can enlist their help to, to jump in. Only reason I asked if there's a drawback because, you know, I've got, you know, when we did episode 150, there was a, a comment on the on the blog. You know, some folks watch H- HGTV and they ask, why can't they use a $300,000 loan on a $250,000 house and then use the other 50K for renovations? Uh, again, like you, like you see a lot on a lot on HGTV. For veterans that want to that do that and get into that game, what's the best option loan-wise? So, you know, you got there. So, they do have the VA renovation loan. That's out there. That's real. Really? That is real. That is uh, definitely a real thing. Um, it, it finally got brought to light, um, and I would say acknowledged uh, in the in the industry last year at the VA Lenders Conference um, that we all attend. Okay, but it's always it's always been in the handbook. The ability to do that's always been in the handbook, and so some lenders you know, had their own unique way of, of making it a reality. But VA finally last year came out with guidance and structures on how to actually do them. And so now 
that's a real program out in the marketplace. That's another game. That's another game changer. It's a complete game changer. So if I wanted to get into a lo- in a community, and I know I can't afford new construction, but there's uh, you know houses that were built in the '70s over in this location, but it's a great neighborhood, safe, great schools. Yeah. But it needs to be updated. I can go in that place and list a bunch of you know get my VA home loan renovation specialist from wherever, and they would come in and they would you know, get bids on all the stuff we wanted to do. And then you submit those bids uh, to the appraiser and the appraiser comes in and appraises that house with the after uh, after uh, improvement value. And if it matches up with with uh, the sales price plus the, the improvements, you can buy the house. And then what happens is then you fund the projects and get it rehabbed. That's incredible. I, I mean, I, I, even in episode 150, we didn't, I mean, we talked about that that wasn't really an option. And now that it is, um, if you have any literature on that, uh, any links, send that to me and I can put it, yeah. I'll put it in the blogs at uh, blogs.va.gov and we'll, yeah. we'll, put, we'll, we'll get it out there. Um, refis, IRRLs. Yep. Interest rate reduction refinance loan. Yeah, I mean it's it's old for you, I but I know nothing about them. <laughs> and I'm looking, uh, for example, I'm looking to refi my house in Charlotte. Sure. What are some things that I need to know to get that ball rolling? Well, so if your house, so if you want to do an Earl, which is what slant is what we we call it in our industry, uh, it's pretty simple, and actually it should require little and no effort on your part. Okay. Um, that's one of the one of the other benefits about being guaranteed by the VA is that when it comes to refinancing, especially streamline. Uh, you don't have to go through all the rigmarole. Like if I was in a conventional loan and I wanted to refinance because rates dropped, I got to get an appraisal out there. I got to submit all my pay stubs. I got to submit bank statements and God only knows what else. Redo all that stuff that you usually do for the original loan. Right. So depending on the lending institution, when it comes to an EARL, remember in, in the EARL world, when you're doing an EARL, the loan's still already guaranteed by the VA. So that allows the lender to be a little bit more, uh, when it comes to paperwork, lenient, right? So you don't have to get appraisals. You don't have to do all that stuff. It minimizes the administrative push, um, the paperwork put, you know, the paperwork hustle. Um, and uh, technically they should go quickly, but you know, your your loans, typically when it comes to refinances, your expectation should be anywhere between 45 and 60 days, just because of, um, you know, the type of pipelines that lenders have, everybody's busy. And so it's, that's about how long it's taking. But uh, for the most part though, you know, you don't have to go through all the other stuff and your rates are phenomenal. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a great time to think to refinance your home if you're looking at the rates right now in, in the marketplace. Yeah, if you haven't, uh, if you have not taken advantage, I mean, if your rate is sitting over, over 4% right now, which some people are, you know, some people want to move into a house, you know, they're what they want their objections and I mean, their uh, objectives and their mission are different, right? They want to come in with no money out of pocket, stuff like that. So they take a little bit of a higher rate. Um, you know, yeah. so some people are sitting over for, if you are and you're in a VA loan, you should really look at, uh, you know, doing an Earl for sure. Very good. Very good. Um, for those veterans that are getting out and, and are looking to get in the mortgage game in the bank mortgage banking game, and they want to be a loan officer or an underwriter, or an agent or, or just an agent, uh, what are some things that that would put you in the best spot for success? What are some things like when you first get out of the military that you should start doing? You know what's great is that the, our industry has changed so much that you know folks that have been in it for twenty twenty five years. I mean that's that doesn't matter anymore. 
You know what I mean? Sometimes mm. I think um, it's better to come in as a as a as a clean sheet of paper than it is having forty five chapters of history of the pro- <laughs> the problems and the issues and the crappy market, the good market, and all the bad habits, right? Bad habits, like it's almost like a, a a shooter from Kentucky trying to learn Marine Corps marksmanship. Sometimes you just want that yeah. that kid. So yeah. you know, getting folks to just come out of transitioning out of the military um, that want to get into this world, uh, you know, things that they would need to do already would be to uh, look at uh, obtaining uh, mortgage licensing education. Um, it's all out there. There's a bunch of different schools out there because you want to go through the want to go through those classes and those curriculums. Um, There are a lot um, of companies you will see this year who will have programs set up um, for transitioning military to get into the business. I can't say their names now because I haven't really uh, announced these things, but I can tell you I have intimate knowledge of a lot of organizations who are working on this type of stuff and they want folks. Our industry is suffering pretty bad from uh, big uh, you know, the average age, I think, of a mortgage professional is well over 50, just like the real estate profession. So we do need to start getting younger to keep this industry alive. Yeah. And what we're finding is the college graduates and the transitioning military folks are a great resource for this, a great uh, pond to fish out of. Yeah. And so people are establishing um, programs um, now to be able to take in folks and put them through basically a internship type of deal over six to 12 months and then get them prepared to uh, take on the, you know, the roles of an actual loan consultant. Because I can tell you, it's a great career. Um, you're dealing with people's largest purchase they'll ever make in their entire life, which is a very, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's humbling and it's an honor and, um, that people would trust you with so much of their stuff. And then when you take veterans helping veterans, it just takes it to a whole nother level. So I encourage anybody who wants to, you know, give this industry a try and is willing to put in the work for it to do it because it's a very rewarding, um, career without question. Very good. Brian, what's one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you do today? Oh, man. Oh, there's so much stuff. Um, There's so much stuff. Uh, One of the things that I think I've learned over the years is don't be the smartest guy in the room. Hmm. Okay. Hire hire and surround yourself with people that are smarter. Okay. Because you always need to be learning. And, um, and I, and I always dread the day that I am the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> um, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're all practitioners and, uh, you know, in the military, you're always learning in the civilian world, you're always learning. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's no different. So don't be the smartest person in the room. Absolutely. Um, Brian, is there anything else that I might've missed? Um, that you like to share with the listeners? Uh, you know, no, not really, man. I think we covered it all. I just, uh, you know, if there's anybody, uh, out there that's listening to this, that, uh, you know, that's in the military, that's thinking about transitioning out, that's, you know, looking to transition off of active duty, 
I, I can tell you as someone who did transition off of active duty, um, you know, the reserves isn't for everyone, you know, sometimes. But uh, I can tell you as somebody who enjoys the structure and the camaraderie of the military, um, you know, don't go cold turkey. I guess that's what I'm saying. Don't, you know, I talk to a lot of transitioning military folks who are about to get out after 10, 11 years and try to go cold turkey. And I try to explain to them that you cannot, you cannot recreate the camaraderie and the relationships that you develop and get to have while you're serving in whatever capacity, whether it's reserves on active duty. And if that stuff's important to you, do yourself a favor and make sure you're making the right decision and be very calculated and know that that won't be there for you. And, uh, and I think that that impacts a lot of transitioning veterans sometimes in a negative way and, uh, creates bad scenarios. And I think that's something that people need to really consider before they make such a, a huge decision like that, because I can tell you at 21, you know, that put a big, a big void for me. Right. So, um, I can only imagine what that does now. I was able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans, and the VA serves as that catalyst with all those resources. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank Brian for coming on the show. Shared a lot of good, fresh info about the VA home loan. So thank you. This week, our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week was submitted by listener Hannah Copley, who wrote into our email account at podcast at va.gov, and whom I think also wrote this week's review. So thank you again for that. Hannah writes, I would like to nominate my uncle Stephen Jerome Copley as the Veteran of the Week. His home record was Mounds View, Minnesota. He fought in the Vietnam War from 1967 to 1972 as an Army firefighter. From what my dad and relatives have told me, he worked on a helicopter retrieving wounded soldiers from the battlefield. He suffered from PTSD and suffered from great disdain from the community upon returning home. Someone had such hatred for him as a Vietnam veteran that they deliberately ran over his dog. He committed suicide within two years of returning home. It would really mean a lot to me and my family if you would feature him in an episode of the podcast. Sincerely, Hannah Copley. We should never forget men like Stephen and the way that they were treated. If there is any consolation, I feel like there was a generation that learned a very valuable lesson because me and my generation weren't treated the same way as your uncle. So we're still misunderstood to a degree, but overall, it was an abundantly positive reaction coming home. Uh, for an example, I'm not going to name the bar's name, but I remember being served in my hometown well before turning 21. And I've said this many times on this podcast, but I don't think it could ever be said enough. If there's any solace to the Vietnam veteran, I've enjoyed my homecoming the way I've been able to enjoy my homecoming the way I have because of the cross that many a Stephen Copley had to bear. And they spoke up about it. So if you get a chance today, 
welcome that Korean or that Vietnam veteran home because they didn't get the same type of reception. And we here at Born the Battle may not be able to welcome Stephen Copley home, but we do honor his service. And in the spirit of Memorial Day, we will ensure that his name and his story lives on. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. And follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you will be able to find us. That's right, with that blue check mark. And as always, I am reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.